Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Four Reasons to Give Thanks. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. I read about a convenience store that was constantly troubled by troublemaking loiterers. Uh, They were vandalizing the property, they were intimidating the customers, they were hanging around with uh, foul language, and the manager tried to do something about it. He put up signs, no loitering, and they ignored the signs. He called the police. When a patrol car would come by, the troublemakers would scatter. When the patrol car passed on, uh, they gathered back into their same spot again, making trouble. And then the manager landed on a brilliant idea. He put audio speakers throughout the parking lot and he started piping in easy listening music to his property. (laughs) A few strains of Montavani or Manilow and they started looking for some other place to assemble. Well, I imagine that you have something loitering around your heart this morning, your guilty past or a nagging temptation or discouragement over a tiring problem or fear over an uncertain future. Those spirits won't stay long around a heart that is praising God. You lift up songs of praise and you'll find, as other believers have found, that doubt and and, uh, fear and guilt and temptation will not linger around long where praise is going on. That's what we find in Psalm 33. I want you to find Psalm 33 in your Bibles or in your Bible app. Now, I want you to begin with the ending because Psalm 33 ends in verses 20 through 22 in this way. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now, how did he get to that point of quiet, steady, stable trust? It's a good question to ask as we're in this fall sermon series called Still. That's the name of the series. It's simply one word, still. We're looking at Old Testament and New Testament passages that help us learn how to be still in faith and how to stand still in faithfulness. And this passage, Psalm 33, tells us then how to have this stable, steady trust. He ends by saying, we wait in hope for you. Now, how did he get to that point? The way he got to the the conviction of the last three verses of this psalm is found in the first 19 verses of this psalm. So if you want to get to the same place of hope, you need to follow the road map that is laid out for us here. Now the first three verses of the psalm issue the call to praise. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. It is fitting, it says, for the upright to praise him. That's how verse 1 puts it. And then this poem piles up the reasons why 
we can be thankful. It piles up one reason on top of another. Psalm 33 is a kind of inventory that we can go to when we don't think we have anything to be thankful for. And we can see the reasons why we ought to be grateful. And back in 2008, there was um, a passable comedy called Four Christmases. And it was about a young adult couple who had to, on Christmas Day, visit all four houses of their divorced parents. Like I said, it was a passable movie, but right now what I want to do is give to you a sermon that could be entitled Four Thanksgivings, because Psalm 33 takes us in our minds to travel to four places that give us reasons to be grateful to God. So I want you to have your Bible open, if you don't have it open yet, to Psalm 33. Take out your sermon notes as an alternative because all the verses of Psalm 33 are provided there. Now the reason I tell you to do this every week is that a sermon is not a TED talk. A sermon is not a motivational speech. A sermon is a Bible study. And so you need to open up your Bible so you can see where I'm drawing these points from. Now hopefully at the end it's motivational and informative like a TED talk or a motivational speech, but it is at bottom a Bible study, and so we need to have our Bibles open to see where these points are being drawn from. So if you've got a pen or a pencil in your sermon notes, here are the four things that we can be grateful for. First of all, praise the Lord for His creative Word. Praise the Lord for His creative Word. Now I'm drawing this from verses 4 through 9, so take a look at these verses. For the Word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the peoples of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came, into be. It came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. These words were written at a time where a king's command was absolute. Whatever he wanted, he declared, and it had to be done, or you were in rebellion against him. Now in verse 6, the poet said that God simply spoke the word. I want stars. And poetically speaking, stars came into existence. You know, there are an estimated 200 billion, billion stars in our universe. There are supergiants and white dwarves and pulsars and supernovae and binary stars and quasars. There are stars that are one billion miles in diameter, a thousand times larger than our sun. There are stars that are 5,000 miles in diameter, which is smaller than our planet Earth. And they all came into existence because God said, let there be stars. Notice how verse 6 ends. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. What that seems to imply is that nature is so responsive to the command of God. Nature itself is so ready to do whatever God wants it to do. That even as the command was trailing out of God's mouth. Even as God said, I want stars. And that, and that breath was trailing out that issued that command. Stars came into existence. And yet there is something that God delights to do even more than make stars. God delights by his command, by his word, to meet your need 
and my need. Robert Louis Stevenson, in one of his little poems, it said, the stars shine over the mountains, the stars shine over the sea, the stars look up to the mighty God, the stars look down on me. The stars shall last for a million years, a million years and a day, but God and I will live in love when the stars have passed away. In Psalm 33, the real reason the poet wanted you to remember that God created stars just by his word was so that you would know that God can meet your need just by his word. Now there is someone in the New Testament who recognized that power in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, a Roman centurion, not a Jewish man, but a Roman centurion recognized this power in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, this man came to Jesus and said that his servant was paralyzed and in great pain. And Jesus said, I will go and heal him. And the centurion said this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes on to explain why he has this kind of confidence in Jesus' simple word. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. And he goes. I say to this one, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. You see, what he was saying is, I understand what it's, what it's like to be under authority. I, I understand what it's like to have authority. The people under me, they don't have to like me. They don't have to necessarily uh, uh, agree with the wisdom of my command, but they just have to do it because I'm in charge and they're under my command. And he said, Jesus, I see that same power in you over all the seen and unseen forces of this, of this universe. I see that they have to be under your command. They don't have to like you. They don't have to agree with your wisdom, but they have to do what you tell them to do, even illness and even sickness. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And this passage says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. You know, it's interesting. You can do a word search through the four gospels and you'll find that there are only two instances, two places where the Bible tells us that Jesus was astonished. That's a, that's a very human emotion, isn't it? To be astonished by something. And there are only two instances that astonished Jesus. One instance was when his people showed profound lack of faith in him. And the other is when this Roman centurion who was not among his people, he was not a Jewish man, he showed great faith in Jesus. Jesus was astonished at both of those times. Do you want to astonish Jesus? You can astonish Jesus by showing up at church every week, by singing these songs, by going to Sunday school, and then in the end, you will astonish him if you prove that you do not trust him. At the same time, you can learn just a little bit about him and nevertheless trust that his word is true, and you will astonish him. That's a beautiful thing to know when we look into the Gospels. But we see in Matthew chapter 8 the same principle that is at work in Psalm 33, in Psalm 33, we are told by his word, when he just simply said, I want stars, and stars came into existence. In Matthew chapter 8, this man said, just by your word, and you can meet my need, you can heal my servant from his illness. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to imply that all we have to do is just make some request to Jesus, and Jesus is obligated to answer it. We know that that's not true if we've studied the scriptures even a little bit. Psalm 33 isn't the only psalm in the book of Psalms. There are 150 chapters, 150 songs in the book of Psalms. 
Some of them express this great confidence, this great joy that God is capable of doing whatever God wants to do. There are other psalms in the book of Psalms where the poet is saying, God, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you answering my prayer the way I want? There was a struggle of faith in some of these psalms. And, and, and so we need to understand that if there are psalms in the book of Psalms that express complaint and express faith at the same time, then those songs need to be in our repertoire as well. You know, if you are never complaining about the way life is going, I don't think you're being honest before God in your prayers. On the other hand, if you are never lifting up confidence and faith, if you're never lifting up songs of joy, then I don't think you're being very trusting. So we look at the songs that we are taught to sing in the book of Psalms and we discover that there are ones of complaint when things aren't going the way they ought to go. And then there are songs of profound trust that decide to trust God regardless of what is going on in our lives. So we are told to praise God, to praise God for His Word. But then, here's another one, we are to praise the Lord for His plan, for His controlling plan. Take a look at verses 10 through 12 because that's where I get this point from. In verses 10 through 12 we read, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. So we are commanded in this passage to sing it. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And as we sing it, we think about it. Now, what are the plans that we see in Scripture that are meant to stand firm forever? Just off the top of my head, I can think of three plans that we find in Scripture. All three of these are in the New Testament. Romans 8:39 tells us that God loves us and God's love will never be taken away from those who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who are in common ground groups, in just a moment, you're going to have a discussion guide, and I think some of those discussion guides had, uh, it was my fault, it accidentally printed Romans 2.39, as Romans 8.39, which tells us that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we know that's true? Because as Psalm 33 says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Or then we find Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we are told that as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That passage is telling us that our salvation is not based on what we try to do for God. It's based on what God has done for us. And because God doesn't goof things up, we can be secure in our salvation. How do we know that those plans are sure? Because the plans of the Lord are firm forever. And then we find Revelation chapter 21. This is a passage that, that I so often quote when I'm uh, preaching a funeral message. Revelation 21 verse 3 says that God wins. We see here, John said, And I heard a loud voice from the universe's throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's God's intention for our, ever, for our forever future. How do we know that this is secure? Because Psalm 33 says the plans of the Lord stand secure and firm forever. And so Romans 8 tells us that God will never take His love away from us. Philippians 1 tells us 
that what he began in us, the salvation process, he's going to keep doing until he brings us to heaven. Romans 31 tells us what heaven is going to look like. And all of this is true because the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. You praise God for that confidence. That confidence that his plans are secure. And you're going to find that doubt and discouragement are not going to hang around, not going to loiter around your heart as you're singing those types of praises. Here's a third thing to write down. The Lord's creative word, the Lord's controlling plan, and then praise the Lord for his discerning watch care. His discerning watch care is what we learn in verses 13 through 15. So let's look at this. Verses 13 through 15. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Now I want you to notice where we're at in Psalm 33. There seems to be this sort of descending order, this increasingly intimate order between these points that we've looked at so far. Point one, point two, and now point three. In point one, he's talking about the cosmos above us. And then in point two, he's talking about human history going on on earth around us. And now in point three, he is right down to the most intimate level as God is watching your personal life under that cosmos, in the midst of that, uh, uh, that sweeping global plan, now God is watching your personal life. And verse 14 says, from his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. Now to know that God is watching you will either unnerve you or it will make you feel secure. It all depends on what you're in the midst of. You know, somebody said it's very much like uh, seeing a police officer's car. If you're seeing a police officer's car in your rearview mirror and you're going too fast, that unsettles you. If you're, if you're broken down and stuck on the side of the road in the middle of the night and you see a police officer's car, that relieves you. Well, in the same way, knowing that God is always watching us might unsettle us if we're involved in hurting someone's life, hurting someone's soul, ruining somebody's reputation. If we're involved in something like that and we discover that God has been watching that, we need to run to Him today, even as one of His believers, we need to run to Him today and ask for His mercy and forgiveness before it's too late. But in Psalm 33, in the context of Psalm 33, to find out that God is watching us is not so much a warning but a comfort. It's letting us know that when things are going wrong, when things are difficult, when things are heartbreaking, God sees he knows. His heart breaks too, and he is responsive to his children who are hurting. We pray to him as we talk to a friend about our problems. We don't pray to him to inform him. We don't pray to him to nag him. We don't pray to, to God to uh, haggle with him about uh, a deal that we can make with him. God knows exactly what we are going through, because from his heavenly place he is watching all that's going on on this earth. Now, the Lord's creative word and the Lord's controlling plan and the Lord's discerning eye leads to this fourth thing. Write this down. Praise the Lord for his unfailing might. Now, I get this from verses 16 through 19. So let's take a look at verses 16 through 19. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. A Despite all its great strength, it cannot save, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, 
on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. In these verses, the poet cautions us then about trusting in human means of security, earthly means of safety. And instead, we need to trust entirely in God. Now, that does not mean that the Bible is warning us off, warning us against all earthly means of security. I mean, the Bible is not telling us it is wrong to depend on insurance policies and strong military and vaccines and police and fire departments for protection. But above all of that, through all of that, even despite all of that, we've got to trust that God's on the job. And we need to depend on Him for our security and for our safety. In Psalm 33, then, the poet says that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him and those who hope in Him. So Psalm 33 gives us four reasons to be thankful. And I want to know which one of these four reasons to be thankful most resonate with you right now. In just a moment, by a show of hands, I want you to indicate which of these four most resonate with you right now. You might say, well, I, uh, truly, I need all four of these things. I'm grateful for all four of these things. And, and that is true. But throughout our lives, we come through seasons, we come through moments where there are just some characteristics of God, some qualities of God that, that we're just especially grateful for. Which one of these four most resonate with you? I said in here, I'll ask for a show of hands. If you're watching online, you can write it down on uh, the comment section of Facebook Live or on YouTube or just mention something. If you're watching this live stream with somebody uh, with you there in the living room, just mention one of these four. But let, let's go over them again as you get ready to indicate which of these four you are most grateful for. The first one is the Lord's creative word. My needs will be met at God's command. The second is the Lord's controlling plan. His plans for me stand firm. He's never going to let go of His love for me. He's going to see me through the process of salvation. He's going to bring me into His plan for me to live forever with Him in heaven. And I am most grateful for that in this time in my life. Or the third one is the Lord's discerning watch care. It's just a comfort to know that whatever you're going through, there is somebody there with you. Or the fourth one, the Lord's unfailing might. We can base our security on the Lord. Uh, even if there are no other points of security we can base our security on in this world. So which one is it? By a show of hands, is it the Lord's creative word? Are you most grateful for that at this point? Thank you. How about the Lord's controlling plan? That's the thing you're going to be grateful for this Thanksgiving season. Thank you. How about this third one? The Lord's discerning watch care. Just knowing He's with you. He's watching. He knows what's going on. Thank you. How about this fourth one? The Lord's unfailing might. Knowing that God is strong and sure and you're going to depend on Him instead of on any earthly means of security and support or in addition to those things. You're going to trust that God's going to use those things to see you through. These are good reasons then to be grateful, right? And so we return to these three final verses that we began with. Verses 20, 21, and 22. They, they make a lot more sense now that we've studied the first 19 verses, right? Because after you've reveled in joy over God's creative word, and after you've lost yourself in wonder over God's controlling plan, and after you've celebrated God's discerning watch care, and after you've been caught up 
and God's unfailing might, you too can express the confidence found in verses 20 through 22. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Now some, even as believers, even as regular church attenders, even as people who crack open a Bible on a regular basis and study it alone and with other, other people, some, even after studying this today, you go, okay, those are the reasons to be grateful, but I still don't know how to get there. The whole nation is going to celebrate something called Thanksgiving Day this Thursday. But because of what's going on in my life, because of the heartbreak and the challenges of this year, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get there. I don't feel very grateful right now. Let me give you a, a three-step process that will get you into a spirit of gratitude across the next several days. First of all, begin by thanking God for what ought to be the obvious blessings in your life. You know, there are things that are going wrong. Ignore those for just a moment. There are things that are going right, aren't they? You know, I mentioned last week uh, about what the country preacher said, that we are all like hogs in an apple orchard. We're always enjoying the blessings around us without ever looking up to see where they came from. We look upon so many of the things that are going right in our lives as ours by right, things we deserve because we're such wonderful people instead of recognizing that they are gifts from the hand of a gracious king. So that's the first thing we ought to do is just reflect on those things. As the, as, the, as the song says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But then secondly, what you need to do is move into the troubles that you've been facing and the difficulties you've been facing. Has the Lord been working in some way? You feel He hasn't been working uh, in your life this past year, but hasn't He been working in some way in your life this past year? We need to be what the British call detectorists. Uh, you, you've seen people with metal detectors out on the beaches. The British call those people, those hobbyists, they call them detectorists. Now what are those people doing as they're taking that metal detector and sweeping it across the beach? They're looking for things of value that aren't seen from the surface of the sand, but they know down below that beachgoers have lost coins and jewelry and other items of value and, and they can find them with this metal detector. You see, the sands of sorrow have buried some of the ways that God has been blessing you this past year. Those things have been buried in the sand, and what we need to do is be detectorists that sweep through and see how God has been working, even if there are areas where we don't feel God has been working. And then the third thing we need to go is, do, is to go deeper still, and we need to go into the problems we're facing themselves and, 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 and see how God is actually working in the midst of those heartbreaking things. Things that break your heart, things that break His heart. But He's still using those very things to bring about maturity and blessing in your life. We are people of the cross. We are people of the story of the cross. The central story of our faith is how this heartbreaking situation, the injustice and the torture and the death of Jesus resulted in our salvation. Now if that's the stack pole around which all our other stories are built, if that's the central theme of our faith, then don't you see that even that God can even use the heartbreaking things, the disappointing things in your life to advance your life closer and closer to somebody who looks like Jesus. And so that's a three-step formula that we can use to become truly grateful and then reflect over these things that we've looked at in Psalm 33. But we've got to start somewhere. 
There's some of us in here who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to the scripture, you're really not going to get to a point where you're truly grateful to God in its fullness until you start with what God has done in Jesus Christ. We realize that what the scripture says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 is this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see what Paul was doing? He was talking to believers in Rome, and he was moving from the greater to the lesser. He was saying, look, God has done the greatest thing for you. He has secured your salvation by giving you his most precious treasure. He has given you his son. His son died on the cross to take away your sin. His son was buried. His son rose again three days later. God has given you his most prized, his most precious thing. So don't you think that God, along with Him, can give you everything else you need? So you see what that passage is, is, is letting us know is that until we start with that, until we understand that this is the thing that God has given us first and highest, we're never going to really fully appreciate all the other things that God does in our lives. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, if it's been a long time since you thought about belief in Jesus, then today needs to be the day that you go, God has given me his most prized position. I'm heartbroken right now. I'm facing difficulty right now. I'm facing challenges right now. But if God has given me his very best, I can trust that God, along with Jesus, is going to give me everything I, I need to get through this life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. As believers, as non-believers who need to come to faith in Jesus today, and maybe what uh, some of us need to pray is a prayer asking Jesus to come into our lives, into our heart. Maybe you need to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I, I want to live a life of gratitude, but I realize today that I'm never going to fully enter into that gratitude. I'm still going to have this sort of hesitation and distrust in what you're doing in my life until I trust Jesus, until I see that you sent your very best when you sent us your own son. I place my faith in Jesus today. I ask Jesus to take away my sin, to give me a new start in life, and help me to know then that as God begins this work in me, he'll carry it on to completion until the day that Jesus comes for me. Help me to trust this and help me to see this, and from that highest point, move to all the lesser points in my life and see that you really care about these things too. You care about my salvation, and so I can trust that you care about my finances. You care about my eternity, and so I can trust that you care about my loneliness. You care about my forever home, and so I can trust that you care about heartbreaking things that go on in my life here on this earth. So Lord, I put my trust in you, so I can, in, in, in salvation, so I can trust that, that, that you care for me in every aspect, every area of my life. But there are others of us who are believers. We've been believers for a long time. But the reality is, if we're honest, it's just really hard to pray Psalm 33. It's really hard to celebrate Psalm 33. And maybe we need to pray something like this. Dear Lord, this, this year's been frustrating. This year's been heartbreaking. I've had a lot of setbacks. And so as I come to this time that the nation calls Thanksgiving Day, I'm ashamed because as a believer, I can't honestly, gladly, freely give thanks to you, and I ask your forgiveness for that, and I pray that you would restore me and renew me through all the things that we've studied out of your word today, 
so I can truly set an example to others at how to be a grateful person and how to live out of a spirit of gratitude. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Keep the Fire Burning. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.